Hey, it's Matt Leon. Just a couple of things before the podcast starts. Number one, with about five minutes or so to go in the interview, you'll notice a change in the sound of the audio from Demetrius. We tried to address it on the fly, couldn't figure out what the problem was. We just wanted to let you know it wasn't your device or anything. Number two, and more importantly, I just wanted to say, when I set up this interview, I didn't know about the serious, serious health challenges Demetrius has been battling the last few months and continues to battle. You'll hear about them in the first few minutes of our talk. Now, we did have an earlier interview date that we had to cancel because he was ill, but I didn't have any idea of the scope of things. And I just want to say it would have been really easy for him to just decline this interview. So I am incredibly grateful that he found time for me. And I also want to say if I ever find myself facing half the challenges he has over the last few months, I can only hope to do so with the grace, positivity, and good humor he shows during this conversation. So with that being said, let's get to the podcast. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon and this is One on One. I use myself as an example to help other people. I think I've found my purpose. I'm here for I'm not here just for myself. I'm here to serve the community. I'm here to serve the university and I'm here to be a father and make sure that I pass on the strength of my lessons that I've had in my life so I can pass them on to other people. And our guest this week is Demetrius Poles. He is the head women's basketball coach at Division Three Rowan University down in Glassboro. He was a phenomenal player in his own right, uh, one of the greatest to out of, ever come out of South Jersey. His number retired at his alma mater, Delcy High School. And Demetrius Poles, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Matt. I really appreciate you having me. First of all, it is great to see you, and it's even better to see you. You were telling me off the air. I mean, obviously, the last year has been difficult for everyone, but your journey since December has been something else. It just makes me really happy to see it. Kind of talk about medically what you had to deal with here the last few months. Well, yeah, it's it's been a rough ride. I got diagnosed with uh, cancer. Uh, in December, multiple myeloma, was cancer in the bones. I got cancer in my spine. I had to have surgery. I had back fusion surgery, which kind of left me messed up a little bit. Uh, I'm still not walking, and hopefully I get that fixed. And then um, at the end of February, I got diagnosed with COVID, and I was on a ventilator for four days, and Stayed in the hospital for almost a month. Um, I almost passed away. I had a really, really, really fight to, for my life to get back. Um, but it was a rough ride, and now I'm on a recover the recovery. I did. I also had kidney failure in December, so I'm going to dialysis for three week, three times a week as well. So I'm hoping to fight to get my kidneys back, and by the end of the summer. I'm hoping to get stem cell treatment so I can put the uh, cancer in remission and get my kidneys back. Just talking to you, you're still incredibly positive and all. Just, you know, how how are you taking life these days? Is it just day by day and get better little by little? Well, at, at first I had that thought process. But then, you know, I, I have two boys. I have custody of my two boys. And they just give me life every day. I didn't want to fail them. I think uh, I was just trying to find a way where 
to fight where I, because I knew I wasn't done parenting. And, you know, our, our purpose on earth is to be here to guide the children. And I think that's my purpose here is to be a leader in the community, but first be a father. And, and all my life, I wanted to be a good dad. And I, I just didn't want to leave my kids. So I think uh, my kids and the, and the girls on my team and, and the athletic department, it gave me a lot of strength. So at first I thought it was a day by day thing and, you know, helped me fight that way. But I think that my purpose is a little bit bigger here. And that, that helps me fight every day. Through or not through all that, but as you've been recovering, you were telling me still recruiting, still putting a team together, huh? Got to, got to, got to keep on going. The competitive spirit does not leave. Um, even though you're going through rough patches, but I still have that competitive spirit to, to compete. Uh, I can't wait to get back in on the court and coach. And and my, my, the girls on my team have really kept me going. They kept, they kept my spirits up and they, they gave me something to fight for and, and they just really kept me going. So I knew I had to do the best I could for, for them to get the best players I can to come in the row and try to do my recruiting from my bedside. And, and from now I'm in my recliner at home. And that's all I can do is recruit now. But eventually I have to stop recruiting because we don't have any much, we don't have much more space on the team. <laughs> that's an incredible last five or six months. How did you deal with all of it on top of each other? Like you kind of mentioned all these things on top. Any one of those would be enough to break the spirit of a lot of people. Yes. I mean, I have to admit my, my spirit was broken. I was kind of why me and, you know, why now, why everything all of a sudden, but I had to, like I said, the, the support did a whole lot for me. Everybody in the athletic department really supported me. They kind of kept me going. The other coaches, we feed off of each other's adrenaline and competitiveness, and we love to see each other do well. And just the contact that I had with the with a lot of people from around the world, I have friends in Europe that were worried about me. That all kept me going. And like I said, along with, with my, my children. So I had to figure out a way to compartmentalize different things in my life and see what's important. And I want to, I want to give back to the people who supported me. And that's pretty much my team, my athletic department and everything. So I felt, I always knew that, I, you know, I'm a competitor, so I knew I was going to come back. And that, that wanting to get better, wanting to get healthier, wanting to be clear in the mind, wanting to get my lungs back healthy, I wanted to get my, you know, my walking back and my strength. Um, uh, that's all a competitive spirit, but I did have to have the support from from the people that I mentioned. So if I didn't have the support, it'd been a lot harder. For me. I mentioned when I introduced you. I mean, you're a South Jersey basketball le- legend. Take me back to the early days. What is your first basketball memory? Do you have one that when you think about kind of your origin story, your first big memory with hoops? Yeah, my, my first memory was um, Joe Crispin's father coaching my uncle in Glassboro High School in the 80s. 
and my and my uncle when they won the state championship. I don't remember the details who they beat, but Glassboro High School was very, very good in the 80s. Um, and I went to every game with my family, and my uncle Wilbur played. And um, I just remember to win the state championship. I don't remember exactly what year, 85 or 86, something like that. They won the state championship. And I just remember the joy that they all had and the joy that my, my, uh, my uncle had and, and my family had. And I was just a little boy. And I remember I, saying to myself, I want to be like that. I don't, this seems like a lot of fun. And then a few years later, I was doing it. <laughs> when you're growing up, when do you start to realize that you're better than most kids playing basketball? Uh, I mean, do you start getting picked first, you know, in gym class or, you know, when it comes to go out for the team? Do you remember when it started to click with you? Yeah, in, 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 uh, in middle school, you're, you're the tallest. So they assume you're the best one already because you're the tallest. And then um, my ball skills wasn't was not so bad. So I could dribble like a guard a little bit. But my first memories were me getting picked because I was the tallest and people just assuming that I could play because I was taller than them. But all in all, I was a little bit better because – I, I grew up with my family members playing, you know, every day. But um, but my earliest memories were being picked because I was the tallest. So I mentioned you go to Delcy and you get a lot of attention at Delcy and you do a lot of incredible things. Um, what's, when you think of your high school days, <clears throat> what are the memories? You won a state title there. What what are the memories from your time at Delcy? Well, the the memories are um, the relationships that I that I developed um, because I was a little bit unique situation where I was growing up. I was going to Glassboro, and then my mother got a house built in L Township, and a lot of people don't know L Township is in the middle of Clayton and, and Glassboro, and if you live in L Township, you have to go to Delcy. And so it's kind of a weird situation. So when I came to L Township, I had to, in seventh grade, I had to develop new relationships. I didn't know anybody here. Um, I actually knew one person. He's my best friend, Earl Simmons. He was our shooting guard on our team, our second leading scorer at Delcy um, when we won a state championship. Um, so I had to make new relationships and everything, get to know everybody over again and you know, kind of start a, a, a new life here. But it was it was great. The relationships I developed were great because it led up to to winning a state championship. Uh, develop every every person on my team that I had to meet was new, new friendships and learning how to play with everybody and you know, not really knowing going to school and not talking to many people except the people you know on the team because you didn't know anybody. It all added up to us, me fitting right in, obviously, and and kind of taking over these guys, and they kind of follow my lead, and they they also push me as well, because I played with some good athletes in high school, played with a lot of Division One football players, so they you know they were competitive, and 
and they push me to be as, as best I can be as well. How much you talk about, you know, switching schools in seventh grade, and that's a difficult age to do that, to have to start over. I mean, that's an awkward time for everybody, regardless of the circumstances. How much did basketball help make it easier for you to develop those new relationships, to feel comfortable, to kind of find your, your, your place in a new place? Yes. Well, at, at that time, you're exactly right. It was very difficult because, uh, you know, I have a younger brother. It was easier for him. But at that time, Delcy has split sessions. So we're, I was in seventh grade and some of my school day was with the high school kids. So they were much older than I was, but I got a chance to play basketball and like the gym with them. And they thought I was a high school. They thought I was in ninth grade. And they were all excited and, oh, we got a new, we got a new ninth grader. And I kept telling them, I'm in seventh grade. <laughs> I just transferred from Glassboro. I just got here. I'm not in ninth grade. I won't be in your team. <laughs> so, uh, but that's how it went when I went to Delsey. I got a chance to play against the older kids, the high school kids when I was younger. And they thought I was in high school already. And they were like, they could wait for that. They forget about the football season. They just skipped over that. They could wait for me to play high school, high school basketball with. Them. So that that's how that went at the beginning. It was kind of awkward, but but uh, they they had to realize that they'll never play with me unless you know you were within my age group. But that's how I got to meet a lot of the athletes at Nelson when I first came over. So you're playing basketball, and I'm not exaggerating. You and I we we're, were about the same age. I went to Clayton. You were at Delcy, and this is before the internet. This was the Gloucester County Times was the way you kept track of everything. And I remember being in the cafeteria, people talking about, hey, did you hear what Demetrius Poles did last night against so-and-so? And it's like there was a almost a mythology around how good you were at Delcy. Did you feel that? And how did you handle that attention? Did, was there any pressure was it fun? Was it overwhelming at times? What was that like? I, I think I didn't get that um, that type of fanfare. I got a little bit, you know, maybe from the reporters or, or maybe some fans at Delcy. I got it more from uh, being recruited by everybody, by the coaches and getting phone calls all type of the nights and you know, my mother's trying to sleep and go to work, and there's people calling me <laughs> at 12 o'clock at night and from the West Coast and, and everything. But um, I didn't know it was really like that. I, I just – I played for fun. I played to win. I loved to compete. I knew that – I knew that it was – like, for instance, Clayton, I didn't know they liked me. I thought everybody didn't like – we didn't like each other. <laughs> or I was out to kill Clayton. Clayton was out to kill me. You know, that type of thing. I was super competitive, and I wasn't really aware of the fanfare, fanfare that I had around here until I graduated, until we won a state championship, and everybody back in South Jersey was happy for us. I didn't know anybody was happy for us except people at Delsey. <laughs> you talk about getting calls all kind, all times of the night and coaches and stuff like that. What are some of the memories of like coaches showing up and were there moments when you're like, I can't believe I'm talking to this coach or this coach knows who I am. I mean, was there 
any of that? Because it sounds like they were coming from any and everywhere. Yeah, I, I got recruited by everybody. It was overwhelming. It was a lot of fun. I, I've had Jim Beheim at my house, which was really incredible. Mo one of my first letters was from St. Joe's, where I actually ended up going. Actually, my first two letters, I remember sitting in the grass at Bethel Mill Park in a summer league. I was in eighth grade, and I got letters from – I got three letters. I got one for football and two for basketball. One from South Carolina. This after my freshman year. Yeah, after my freshman year. South Carolina, St. Joe's, and Penn State. St. Joe's and Penn State were for, for basketball. And then uh, after that, you know, during my – especially my senior year, I pretty much got recruited by everybody. I got letters, phone calls. I got phone calls uh, all the time. I had my mother made me get my own phone number in my my bedroom because <laughs> she got tired of all the phone calls. But my mom worked twelve hours a day at Sony Music, so and she worked seven to seven, but she would change her seven to seven sometimes seven in the morning to seven at night, and then she would do go sometimes seven at night to seven in the morning. So she needed her sleep. So I had to get another phone in my bedroom because I, I got too many phone calls. I was getting phone calls every every half an hour, it seemed like. So uh, because phone calls from the West Coast came in pretty late for us and it will mess up my mother's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned watching as a kid you know, Glassboro win the state title and that joy. In 91, when you lead Delcy to us, I mean, what was that experience, that journey like? And, you know, was it all that you had seen it be and hoped it would be? Oh, uh, it was a lot more. Um, and it was, it's a, it's a lot of work. When you, when you win something like that, as you go through a lot, but it's fun. It's not hard. Well, it was hard but it wasn't arduous or it wasn't something that you didn't want to do. It was something that you, you talk about, but you can't touch it and you can't feel it. But at the end, you know that if you're a senior and you're like, and you won your last game, that's a beautiful thing. You can't beat that. Um, but that state championship, it was, it was filled with so much joy but it was also a lot of relief because you went through so much. You you go through so much, you know, you get challenged, you, uh, you, you go through your ups and downs and you, you, sometimes you believe, sometimes you don't believe as much as you should. Uh, sometimes you lose a little bit of confidence, but you always fight back because you know, there's a goal at the end and, and that there's, and you just want to be the best. So when we when we actually won, it was so it was relief, it was joy, a lot of happiness, a lot of tears, and it was a, it was a great way to end, end my high school career for all of us too because we were we were a team bunch of a, a bunch of seniors on the team. So we talk about the recruiting and all the schools you end up going to St. Joe's. What sold you on St. Joe's? And that was John Griffin was the coach when you went there, correct? John Griffin was the head coach. But Phil Martelli did the recruiting, and he was the one who really sold me to to come to St. Joe's. My I always wanted to go to Syracuse, 
That was my top choice. I love Billy Owens. I love Derek Coleman. I love the Orange. It was my favorite school. Uh, it was either North Carolina or, or, or Syracuse. And Jim Beheim ended up coming to my house, and I really wanted to go. But it was a, it was a matter of uh, it came down to actually Syracuse got on probation my senior year of high school. They took away scholarships. So I think it was several of us, me, James Forrest, Luke Jackson. Uh, we were all their top recruits that year. And we didn't know what to do because it wasn't anything specific. But I think Luke Jackson, if you look it up, he was the only one in my year to, to go to Syracuse. If you look it up, I think the, yeah, he was the only recruit that they took. Because at first they just said there was no recruit, nobody was allowed to go. So uh, St. Joe's was my second option, where they were 1A. It was Syracuse's 1, St. Joe's 1A. And Phil Martelli was a big, he was a big uh, part of, the biggest part of me going to St. Joe's. You were, I think you made the all-rookie team in the conference as a freshman. Uh, was the transition to college relatively easy, or was it tough at first? How would you kind of categorize it? Well, it's tough. Um, anybody going to, you know, college is tough. And, and I tell my players now that are in high school, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard adjustment. You're on your own. You're responsible for everything. Your grades are on your own. Um, you're more, way more independent. You don't have a lot to lean on um, outside the court. But, uh, but on the court, I think that, um, yeah, I made the first team – all freshmen, my freshman year, had a pretty decent year. But I think that um, I was I was a player who was a little bit more dynamic, and I got kind of pigeonholed. Uh, I like to do more than one thing on the court. And if you if you look at me play, if you see me play, you can see that I can play with my face towards the basket instead of my back towards the basket all the time. And I think at St. Joe's, they try to m- turn me into a player with my back to the basket. And I wasn't kind of used to that. I didn't grow up playing that way. I grew up getting a rebound, pushing it, making a pass, or making a play in transition. Um, so that that kind of changed everything. But you live and you learn. You have different experiences. I had a great experience at St. Joe's. But then I transferred to Rowan. And then I was still back to the basket because I was the biggest guy on the court. So it didn't matter. <laughs> in between there, you have a heart issue, right? Is that and you had to step away from basketball for a little bit? Yeah, I had a I had a heart arrhythmia, and at first, um, a lot of people were scared after the hang gathers, right? Issue. So a lot of people didn't want to mess with me, and you know I understand that it was very scary. Obviously, what happened to hang gathers, and nobody wanted another one. Nobody believe me, because when I went to the doctors, they were you know doctors were saying I had an enlarged heart. And I was never going to play again. So I got these diagnoses, and, but it wasn't really like or anything concrete. It was just, oh, your, your muscles beating, your heart is a muscle, it's beating too fast. Then you have a heart arrhythmia. Then they said my heart was too big. Then I had a heart monitor carrying that around. So I had to just wait it out until I had the catheterization and I had some tests done after I transferred uh, to Rowan. 
And um, Coach G, Giannini helped me get it. That was in 94. Yeah, and I had a heart arrhythmia test. And then after my heart arrhythmia test, I got cleared to play because they gave me some really serious tests where I can, like they had to pump my heart real fast, see if mm-hmm. I could take the game and, and everything like that. So I went through a series of tests and I got cleared. So that opened me up to get back on the court. And then I ended up starting for Rowan as a starting center when we won a national championship. How tough, scary was that at that point in your life? Because, I mean, most 21, 22-year-olds think you're bulletproof and, and, you know, but you're you're an elite athlete on top of that. So how hard was that? It was extremely hard. I felt like I lost basketball. Um, And at that point, I wasn't even thinking about coaching. I was just I was just devastated because I lost a chance to play the game I love for a year or so. And then I had to sit out and all these tests. And on top of that, wondering about my health and my heart and having this monitor and monitoring my heart and thinking, what if my heart goes out? What if it stops beating or, you know, things like that. So it was kind of devastating, you know, what happened. But I had to make sure that I was trying to stay positive and had a lot of good people around me and, and pushing me to do the right thing and getting my health back. And and, and Giannini helped me get back on the court, meeting the right doctors and talking to the right people. So that, that helped me out a whole lot. But it was, it was not fun at all, I'll tell you. Was it scary getting back on the court? It was at first. Um at first, when I had when I played pick, I played a lot of pickup, and when you play a lot of pickup, you you tend to forget. At the beginning, you're nervous. You know, you don't want anything to happen. Your heart starts beating fast. You get tired. You want to take a break, and and you just want to get through the night of sleep, and then wake up in the morning, and then, you know, when you're in college, you play every day, so you just kind of forget it. You kind of forgot to you get you forget your worries and you you just start playing again. And then, but when the season came, I was confident enough to be ready for the season, and I didn't miss a game. I didn't miss anything during the year, so it was pretty. Um, so when the season started in October, I was pretty pretty confident that I can play. Pretty confident in my body, you know. You know, I had. The doctors were aware of what, what happened. So, you know, I had my uh, my proper people in this place in terms of my health, if anything happened to me. And that year at Rowan, you guys win the national title. Um, I think you had a – it was at the national semis. You had a tip-in that was the, the game winner. And yeah, what – What's that yeah. journey like? You know, after all you've been through to that point, you transfer the health issues, and now you're helping a team win a national championship. Oh, uh, it was fun that year. We we were expected to win the national championship. So on top of me going, what I did went through personally. You know, if you look at the makeup of our team and the guys we had come in and transfer that year, we were very we had four or five transfers that year. We had five transfers and we were all very good. So we had a lot of pressure on us to win a national championship. But for I think for us, it was a lot of fun because we we're all so competitive 
and the guys who were there were also competitive. Uh, we had Terrence Stewart, he was All-American, who was already on the team. He led the way completely, and we meshed together well. So for me personally, I didn't really focus on myself a lot. I just focused on trying to fit in, and I knew I was not in the greatest shape because I was out a year and a half, so I knew I wasn't going to be in tip-top shape. Actually, I got better. I got more in shape after I left and was a professional basketball player than I was in college. But that year we won the national championship. It was a lot of fun. It was it was pressure, and we competed every day in practice. But um, but at the end we were extremely talented, and I think we're still this the leading score in NCAA three history in in terms of average points in the tournament in the NCAA tournament. So I think we scored about 100 points a game. So we're, we're a very, very talented team. And it was fun to play. I had an absolutely great year. And that kind of helped me get past my, my health issues. Uh, met new teammates, got a lot of new friends on the team, won a lot of games. So it kind of got my mind off my own health in terms of what I was going through. So I just played a role on the team. And then uh, in that Final Four game, I, we just knew we wanted to win. When we got there, we were just going to win no matter what. And I got myself in a position on the court to tip in the last second shot, which to propel us to the national championship game. And I, I got fouled on that play too. <laughs> I tipped it twice, tipped it twice in my right and once on my left, and I got fouled. And if you look at the replay, I got hit when I got fouled on my second tip. But then the referee didn't call it. But we still won, though. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Rowan University women's basketball coach Demetrius Poles right after this. Hey, everybody. It's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter. But every week, I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with Rowan women's basketball coach Demetrius Poles. Winning a high school title, winning a college title, how did they compare? Uh, I get asked that a lot. Um, they're two different things because they're two different journeys. I think it's very special because my high school was grassroots. And I mean, that's the, that's the first championship you talk about when you start to get to high school and, you know, winning a state championship in, in any sport. That's what you play for. I mean, you have these rivalries with these different high schools and everything. And you want to kick, I wanted to kick Glassboro's butt and everything like that because that's where I came from, and they wanted to kick my butt. I think that it's, it's just an innate thing that you just want to – You want everybody wants to win their last game as a senior. And I did in, in both – I'm very lucky. Not a lot of people can say that. I won my last game as a senior as a, a high school player. I won my last game as a senior as a, as a college player. So for, for the for – the, for the high school championship, like I said, is is something that you you, you grow up with your teammates, 
you grow up with your friends that you're growing up with as a kid and, and you take that long journey and and you're you're number one in the, in the state, that's that's a great accomplishment because you grow up and you spend a little bit more time than you do with the kids that you're in college with. In college, it was more like it was a little bit more serious, less time, more competitive, but uh, but it all culminated into almost the same thing, but it was like a more accelerated ride because the kids I know from my high school days were I knew I them. I knew them from seventh grade on. From college, I just knew for you know just a few years. So it was all. It was a lot of fun, but it was kind of fast, and it was a little bit more serious than it was in in uh, high school. But it was a lot of fun, a whole lot of fun. And like I said, there's not a lot of people who can say they won their last high school games and college games. No, that's true. That's a Pretty short list, I think. Yes. How important was Dr. John Janini? He's your coach, and he's the guy that, that brings you in after the, the health scare. So what was the impact he had on you? Oh, I can't I can't say enough words for Giannini. Uh He's still here for me to this day. I mean, he's going through it now with me with my health issues, even to this day. He's been a rock. He's been somebody who's always been honest with me. He's like a stepfather, a mentor. He's just been there for me. And he's he's always kept his word. He's never, you know, a lot of a lot of people, you know, a lot of coaches, you know, they may talk a good game, but they don't it's not a lot of substance behind it. But there's only a few people, he and Phil Martelli, who can really they'll tell you something, they'll mean it. Um, and they really care for you. Those two guys have been there for me for ever since I can remember, since I was a teenager. So they're like father figures to me, and they're like they are family members. And when and when I went through this bout of cancer and everything, uh, Giannini was stepped up. He was there for my family, there for my fiance, there for my kids, my two boys. Um, you know, even when I was in the hospital, he called my family every day, made sure my kids were okay. Um, and I can't say enough about that. So he, he's, he's a family member to me and will always be. How much has what you went through with the heart in college, I don't know if I want to say helped you, but... How much did that experience kind of help ground you over the last several months that you've dealt with a serious health issue before and you know how to navigate a little bit the fear, the uncertainty that maybe somebody that's never dealt with these types of issues when they're coming into them cold? Well, that's a good question. Well, it did prepare me for, you know, doing things I really – not one to do in a hospital like MRIs and, and things like that. But it also prepared me for being being ready for the unknown and being ready for catching things, kind of catching things off guard. Like I wasn't prepared to, you know, I thought my cancer was arthritis. You know, I, I thought I had just arthritis in my back real bad. 
And then I go to the hospital and they, they say I got cancer. So that, that kind of threw me off. But, but like you said, me having a heart issue earlier in my life has helped me be prepared for moments like that. Because now I can say that I can't, nobody can take everything, but at least I can take something serious like that and say I can do the best I can to make the best out of it. Even, even though I had issues before my heart and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling woe is me for a little bit and now I have cancer, but now I have, now I have to show myself again that I can get through this because I've dealt with things before, you know, serious issues before. Plus I have kids now and I have a team that I, that I care for like they are my kids and I have to get through this for them. I have to, I have to be strong for them as well. And I have to show them that I'm an example of what I speak about when we're in the locker room or when I'm home talking to my kids about serious issues, you know, that I have, or, or I can share with them my experiences that I can give them some power. I can give them some confidence, some self-confidence about what they can do through their issues that they may have in their lives. So it, I'm, I think I, I use myself as an example to help other people. Um, and I think that's with this second bout of my health issues that just arised in the last five or six months, I think I found my purpose. I'm here for, I'm not here just for myself. I'm here to serve the community. I'm here to serve the university. And I'm here to be a father and make sure that I pass on the strength of my lessons that I've had in my life so I can pass them on to other people. Basketball after college, you go overseas. And by my count, by my research, you played in 16 different countries. Yes. What, how crazy, how much fun. I mean, I would imagine just from anecdotally what I've heard from other people that have gone overseas, it can run the gamut to being an incredibly well-run, almost NBA-level type professionalism to I better get to the bank by three o'clock because the check's not going to, the check's not going to cash by dinner time. Did you experience everything along that spectrum? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the, the check cashing is fun because that's funny. Um, I, I started in Beirut. I wanted to play overseas so bad that, um, Phil Martelli gave me uh, a call and asked me that I want to play in Lebanon. And I, I didn't hesitate. I said, yes, right away. And he, and he said, well, you know the history of Lebanon. I said, well, yeah, I know a little bit. So then I went and did some research. And then I called him back. And I said, I got a little history and I'm still going. <laughs> but, um, but yes, when I, when I, for instance, when I went to Lebanon, it was, it was still kind of a little bit of war going on. Weren't really supposed to be there. Um, we got in and went to the U.S. Embassy and and uh, they asked us, why are we here? We weren't supposed to be here. <laughs> so they still stamped us and let us play. I, I played in buildings with bomb holes in them. And, and when you go in, security had to check you for bombs and shoe bombs and everything like that. I mean, this is back in the ni- 90s. And, um, and when you got your check, 
I remember I was trying to leave Lebanon and they gave me more money because in Israel flew over and they dropped the bomb on southern Beirut, on Hezbollah. And it was not far from Beirut. You can hear the bomb. And me and my American friend, we wanted to leave because our apartment was shaking in Beirut. Everything was shaking. And we lived in a beautiful apartment on, on, the, on the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, I remember calling my general manager. I told him, it's time to go. I said, as soon as these bombs are done, we're going home. Get us a ticket today, and we're going right back home. And he's like, no, 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 it's easy, easy. And he kept on saying easy. I'm like, we're listening to bombs here while we're talking on the phone. None, none of this is easy. We talking about easy for? So he, so he said, okay. And he hangs up the phone, and he comes over with a, uh, a suitcase with some money. And, and, and he gave us money to stay, to stay in the Lebanon just to play for the rest of the season because he didn't want us to leave. So it went from there to then I go to Sweden and I'm living in a modern country. The checks come in my, in my bank account with no issues. I don't have to call anybody. I don't have to chase my money down. It comes right on time with the rest of the country. <laughs> the trains and automobiles came on time when you wanted to go somewhere. It, it was, um, so it is night and day, but you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about the world. You, you accumulate so many relationships. Um, I have relationships with, from my, I have a lot of Lebanese friends now. I have a lot of Le friends from the Middle East because I played in the Middle East several times. I have a lot of friends from Europe. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an enriching, enriching. And I think everybody, especially Americans, I think Americans should travel overseas. I think they should live a little bit in a different world to see how it is because everything is not like America. Everything, I think we all have to open our minds up. And I, I wish that we can all share. I wish people over there could see how we live and they can open their minds up. Um, and the world would be a better place. But I think that it, it, it gives you so much education about different places in the world. And it's better than watching the news because the news is not right all the time. Did you have, of all the stops, was there a favorite city, a favorite country you played in that if you had one chance to do it again in one place, what place would it be? Oh, who we? That that could be. I I would say. I would say Argentina. Argentina, my that was my last place, and my knees were hurting so bad, and I knew it was my last year, and I just physically, my knees couldn't take it, but it was a nice contract, so I had to take the money. <laughs> but I wish I wish I would have played better. I wish I would have played better. It was just. It was just an old man thing. You, <laughs> you know when it, you know when your time is done, and when you can't take it anymore, and the traveling, you know you're missing your family. But I, I did love Argentina. It was a great league, and I just wish I would have helped my team more in Argentina. So you you said you knew physically that it, you know the clock had hit midnight as a player. Was coaching immediately something you thought? Or was it a uh, gradual that 
I need to stay in the game and I've got a lot to give because, I mean, besides the basketball experience with all the traveling and everything, you've got life experience to share. How yeah. does coaching come on the scene? Well, what happened was, because uh, at that time, I was I lived in Sweden for 17 years. And I, I speak Swedish. And I'm also a Swedish national team coach. Um, so I got a lot accomplished. And I worked with the NBA in Italy for 11 years. So all the NBA players, I got 81 players drafted from, from Europe. So I know a lot of Euro- Europeans who are in the NBA. So one of my... My American coach who lived in Sweden for almost 40 years now, he told me one day that you're going to be a great coach. And he said, when you're done playing professional basketball, if you move back to Sweden, I want you to coach with me because you teach me everything. And he's older than me. And I played for him in Sweden. Um, And he thought that I was one of the best passers he's ever seen or one of the smartest players he's ever seen in his life. So before I left to, because I, I went from Argentina to Sweden. I wasn't going from America. I was living in Sweden probably. So I was before I left Sweden, he called me and said, because he kind of knew that this is my last year coming up. And he said, well, if you want to coach, come back, and I'll, I'll hire you right away. So I got into coaching. His name is Dan Sarapolis. Actually, his second oldest son plays for Davidson now. His oldest son played for Davidson College. He was one of the best three-point shooters at Davidson. His, his name is Chris Sarapolis. He plays in the EuroLeague now. Um, so he wanted me to come back and help him coach his oldest son when his oldest son was younger. So that's how I got started. And then after that, I got hired as a professional coach in Sweden, and I started coaching professionally in Sweden. I coached two, three professional teams in Sweden. I won one championship. A conference championship. Didn't win the league sweat. I lost the league championship twice, but I won one conference championship. It was their first Southern Division title in their club's history, and their, their club's they, they have a different way of looking at things over there in terms of sports. Like their hometown, they take it seriously. It's almost like a Syracuse thing. They're professional sports in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I got a chance to do very well in Sweden, and then I got a chance to go to Italy with the NBA, which is great, which kind of expanded my knowledge because I got to work with the best coaches in the world for a living. Well, Demetrius Poles, this has been so much fun. Uh, I wish you all the best health-wise. I... Uh, thank you for taking the time and uh, I just wish you a, a speedy recovery. Thank you so much. Anytime, man. Anytime. I like talking to you. And that will do it for this episode of One on One. Want to sincerely thank Demetrius Poles, head women's basketball coach at Rowan University for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, want to help us out, please leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.